Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The One Question by Pastor Sean Wood. Okay, very happy Easter. Uh, it's, it's a joy to share Easter Sunday morning with you. Uh, we're going to come around God's Word uh, and then we'll break up for some fellowship. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and we celebrate the empty tomb and all that that means for every one of us this morning. As we open your word, Lord, would you open our hearts, we ask, and open the eyes of our hearts, we ask, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I love the story of the young boy. He's walking home from school one day. He's walked past the bike shop. As he makes his way past the bike shop, he sees a brand new, bright, sparkly blue bike sitting in the, sitting in the window. He says, I must have that bike. So he goes home and he sits at the end of his bed and he doesn't really know, he doesn't have any money, he doesn't really know what he can do, so he prays and he says, Father, I want that bike in the window, that bright, sparkly blue bike, and I want it outside my bedroom door when I wake up in the morning. So he rushes off to sleep and he, he wakes up in the morning with a rush, opens the door and there's no bike. A little bit dismayed, he heads off to school. Of course, he has to go back past the bike shop. And on his way home, he has to go past the bike shop. And this happens for a couple of days. And he calls in to see the local pastor and says, look, uh, I need this bike. And uh, what can I possibly do? And of course, his pastor says, well, you know, you need to pray with just a little bit more faith. And so the young boy goes, okay, no worries. So he rushes home and he's caught the attention of his mum by now. And he runs upstairs and he, he gets to the end of his bed and he prays with all the faith that he thinks he has. He wakes up the next morning, opens the door, no bike. Dismayed once again, he goes, but he, he has a solution this time. He comes home and he says to his mum, mum, I've tried everything. What could I possibly do? She said, well, you need to pray more earnestly. So he, he goes upstairs and he closes the door and he gets down on his knees and he thumps the floor and he prays with all the earnestness that he can. When he wakes up the next morning, he opens the door and there's no bike. His dismay has now turned to indignation. For the next few days, he walks back past the bike shop and his mum is watching all of this with closeness. Time approaches. One afternoon... Very determined, he walks through the front door, grabs a statue of Mother Mary off the mantelpiece, runs upstairs, closes the door, gets on his knees and lifts the statue to heaven and says, Jesus, I have your mother. (laughs) And if there is not a bright, shiny blue bike outside my door in the morning, she cops it. God bless that little boy, but what he teaches is this, maybe sometimes we have misconceptions of who Jesus is and why he came. Jesus didn't come here. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. Jesus did not come to dress you up and dress this world up and to make this world all fluffy and comfortable for you. He came to deliver you out of it and to give you a new hope. For those that have been travelling with us, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation and today we will cap off the book of Revelation but we must do so by answering the universe's greatest question. There is one question in this room that each and every person must answer. Whatever your background, whoever your parents are, whatever country you're born in, you must answer this one question. 
And why is the book of Revelation so important? What is going on with the book of Revelation? I'm interested because supposedly Mark Twain is quoted as saying that it is not the parts of scripture I don't understand that disturbs me, but rather the parts of scripture I do understand, which is very interesting. And when we come to the book of Revelation, maybe it's not the parts of this book that we don't understand that disturb us. The greatest disturbance maybe comes in what we do understand and what we take from the book of Revelation. A couple of things real quick. I think we've missed the message of the book of Revelation. I think the church has missed the glorious message that was given to John for the church. We're going to kind of step out of the book of Revelation in a moment. But here's a few things we need to know overarchingly. John was given a vision of events that must soon take place. The book of Revelation is not a book about end times. The message is far deeper, far more profound, but far simpler than that. The message of the book of Revelation comes in a time of great chaos. What did we learn as we journeyed our way through the book of Revelation? We learned that we were challenged about where we place our worship. We were challenged about our compromise as the church of God. We were challenged about uh, all of the systems of the world and how they can pressure us and influence us. But overarchingly, the book of Revelation is exactly what it claims to be. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word apocalypse isn't a word we use to describe the end of the world, the word apocalypse is the unveiling or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is the book of Revelation so important today? It is massively important inside the church of Jesus Christ. It's massively important outside. Why? Because the one thing that is needed today is a greater revelation of the person, the glory and the wonder and the splendor of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What a greater time to celebrate that than on Easter morning. What better time to unpack that than on Sunday morning. What are some of the great themes as we worked our way through the book of Revelation? We Some of the themes, of course, were judgment. Some of the themes, of course, was heaven. And we've been asked some wonderful questions just recently, like, are we ready? Please remember that when Jesus came the first time, none of the religious folk were ready. They missed it. When Jesus came the first time, he came in a manner that nobody was expecting. Everybody expected him riding on a white horse. He came as a baby in a manger. Uh, When Jesus did come, he came at a time when nobody was expecting him. And when Jesus came the first time, he caught a generation unawares. What's the message, the overarching message? of the book of Revelation. If you're here today and you're trying to work out what do I make of all the end time theology, here it is. Jesus Christ is coming back. When he came the first time, they they said his coming is delayed. When he came the first time, they didn't expect him to come the way he did and I can guarantee you he will come in a moment when nobody expects in a manner that none of us expect. Nobody knows the time, nobody knows the hour, but he is returning. So what's the most important thing for us as everybody, mankind? What is the most important thing? We must answer this one question. We made our way to the last chapter of the book of Revelation. It's the easiest chapter in the world to preach on because the major theme uh, also preaches itself is the one line, behold, I am coming soon with my recompense in my hand to repay every man for what they have done. Every single man, woman and child will stand before Jesus of Nazareth. You will stand before him. 
That's the truth I know. That's the truth I proclaim. Julius Caesar will stand before Jesus. Adolf Hitler will stand before Jesus. Every person will stand before Jesus. This pastor will stand before Jesus and we will give an account of the life that we have lived. But you will have to then answer this question and you're better off answering it now. So what's that question? I'm glad you asked. You guys always ask great questions. This morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, As we uh, begin this morning... Uh, verse 13 of chapter 16, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, this is what I love, Uh, sometimes we don't fully understand, but Caesarea Philippi, uh, when we have a look, is the northernmost part that Jesus will travel to. Why is Caesarea Philippi so important in this whole narrative? Because what we learn is uh, the Jewish influence is virtually nil in Caesarea Philippi. I mean, the name says it all, right? Caesar. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was a town that was known for where Roman centurions and soldiers would go to retire. It was a very heavily imperial city, but it was also a city, interestingly enough, where all of the rival deities and gods kind of converged in one space. Uh, In one space, we have uh, altars still scattered through the landscape, remaining from the uh, former Baal worship times in ancient times. We we have a huge white marble temple dedicated to imperial worship and to the godhead of Caesar at that particular time. Uh, Just a little bit of a side note this morning. If you lived in the first century and you were a part of the Roman Empire in any way, shape or form, it was demanded of you to pay homage to Caesar as God. The attraction to do so was enormous. The benefits, the seduction to being a Roman citizen, the benefits to just to just paying homage to Caesar, the benefits were enormous. It was in Caesarea Philippi. There's a cave just outside of the city, which was uh, heralded to be the birthplace of this mythical god called Dan, who was the god of nature, a half man, half goat creature. It is in Caesarea Philippi. It is against the backdrop of all the idols and all the gods of the then known world that Jesus has two very piercing questions to ask his disciples. And those questions come to the hearts and lives of every one of us today. Why is the book of Revelation so important? Because one thing that is needed today is the unveiling of the majesty of Christ and the reality and the truth of who he really is. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, question number one, still not the most important question, but question number one, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who does everybody say that I am? And just a bit of a side note, uh, whenever God asks a question, he's not looking for information. When In Genesis chapter 3, when God says to Adam, where are you? It's not like all of a sudden, where did I put that guy? Is in my pocket? No, he wanted Adam to know where he was. Where are you, Adam? I was hiding. Why are you hiding, Adam? What I love about the Genesis 3 narrative is notice who's hiding and who didn't. Nothing changed on God's part. He still came down seeking to have fellowship with mankind. And so now when Jesus asks these two questions, he's not looking for information. He wants to unpack what's inside the hearts of the disciples. And maybe we should ask the same question today. Interesting the answer that the disciples give, verse 14. And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. 
Others say you're Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And the interesting thing with every one of those answers is every one of them is miraculous. Every single person. What does the world say about me against a pagan backdrop in a place where there's no Jews? By the way, the religious folk have already cast their opinions. They've just left Jerusalem. They've cast all of their opinions about who Jesus is. They got it wrong, by the way. But now Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And every answer is a miraculous answer. John the Baptist has already been beheaded. Elijah's dead centuries ago. Jeremiah, dead centuries ago. So they obviously associated the miraculous with the person of Jesus. Let's, for a moment, if we can, take the liberty to answer that question today. Who do people say Jesus is today? You get some, you get some very varied answers if you ask that today. But here's a couple, that, a couple of brackets that most of them fall under. If you were to ask people today who was Jesus of Nazareth, there are a large contingency of people that would say he is nothing more than a myth. There's a large portion of people that say, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe he even existed. Many people would say the Christians made him up. But the reality is that over 98% of scholars and historians today do not agree with that. Skeptical scholars, atheistic scholars, absolutely 100% affirm that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is a person of history. In fact, they say it is nonsense to think anything different, that he is an actual person of history. Here are what we call minimal facts. Minimal facts, just a couple of brief ones this morning. Uh, We can't pass Jesus off as a myth. If you're sitting here this morning going, Jesus is a myth and he never lived, you don't get that option this morning. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Over 98% of historians today claim uh, some minimal facts. Those are that he was born uh, in Bethlehem between the years of 2 and 6 BC, somewhere around that area. Absolutely, categorically, Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem at that time. We also know uh, that he was uh, baptised by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Historical accounts attest to that. Uh, We also know categorically uh, by both biblical reference and extra biblical reference, which is all of the Roman historians as well, claim that uh, absolutely record that Jesus was crucified under the then reigning governor Pontius Pilate. And here's the last one. This one is attested to by over 76% of historian scholars today. The reason it's a little bit less is because of the implications. Every single one of these 76% attest to the fact, many of them sceptics, many of them pose uh, some varied and wide ideas why, but they say it is a historical fact that the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. You don't get the option today to leave Jesus as a myth. You don't have that option. Well, some say, okay, sure, he was a person of history, but you know what? Uh, in reality, he was nothing more than a man. I've heard this inside of church walls. I've heard, you know what? He was, he was maybe a prophet. Uh, he, he had a good system of teaching that he left us behind, a good example. And, and, and even Gandhi said, Gandhi is recorded as saying, you know what? I love your Christ, but I don't like your Christian. He likes the message the message of love that Jesus brings. Many people say, yes, okay, he was a person of history, but he is just nothing more than a man. Well, that's not what history tells us. History tells us that he 
apparently is just a man, but all of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, 44 of them, in fact, that he hits like a nail on the head. So accurately does Jesus of Nazareth fulfill the messianic prophecies concerning him that many scholars and many historians have said that the book of Isaiah was written after his birth and death because it couldn't have been that accurate. Uh, FYI, Isaiah was written 800 years before Jesus. And uh, they used to say that Isaiah was written after his death until a little Bedouin shepherd uh, threw a rock in a hole and found some things called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then they were able to completely and utterly date the scroll of Isaiah. And when they went through those scrolls, by the way, if you're wondering about translations, when they went through them scrolls, they found two words that were slightly out of place in the whole book of Isaiah in part of that translation. It's been handed down to us almost perfectly. Jesus of Nazareth... This apparent man fulfills more than 44, but hundreds of messianic prophecies. This same man, both by Roman historians, and we need to remember that Roman historians only recorded, only desired to record what exemplified the power and the glory of Rome. But it is Tacitus and other Roman historians that attest to magical happenings at the hand of a Christos. They couldn't do anything about the miracles. John and his gospel, writing to the Greeks, the Jews, and many Gentiles, John says, these are signs. You know when you, men, you know when we're driving along the highway and we tell everybody we know where we're going and we miss the sign? <laughs> and our wife sitting next to us with the GPS going, <clears throat> can I tell you that the religious folk in those days miss the signs? Don't miss them today. But here's the the home run. If you're a baseballer this morning, here's the home run. The fact of the matter is the greatest evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, the almighty Son of God, the divine Son of God, is that nobody can put a body in that tomb. Many people have tried. Avid sceptics have tried. Ask Lee Strobel. Ask Josh McDowell and many other who through history have adamantly pursued the the body of Christ. You know, we have the body and we have the bones of some of the disciples, but we don't have the body of Christ. Do you know history can tell us everything that happened with the disciples after the death and resurrection of Jesus? We can tell you where they died, how they died. We can tell you the sacred sites where they're... We can tell you all those things, but nobody can put a body in that tomb. There is enormous evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Enormous evidence. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, you know what, I want to deal with this today. I want to put this Christianity to bed. If you want to deal with Christianity and get rid of it, easy. Put a body in that tomb. Give us the body of Jesus. Go on, go on a journey to disproving the resurrection of Jesus. I'll see you in church when you're finished. So who do the people today say Jesus is? Verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And, and he said to them, here's the big question. He said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? This morning, as we celebrate 
Resurrection Sunday. Let me be clear for a moment. Nobody else can answer that question for you. No religious institution can answer that question for you. No pathway of science. You have to answer that question for yourself. And when Jesus returns, you will stand before him and the most important thing will be how you answered this question. Who do you say Jesus is? This is the most important question for the church to answer because, let's be honest for a moment, sometimes this has been taken wrong. And I'm going to go on in a moment and I'm going to finish this morning with why it's so important for the church and why the book of Revelation is so important for us today. Let's keep reading. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. For those that read the pastor's comments this morning, what separates Jesus from everybody else? Why is is Jesus not one of many ways? There's many gods. If you're an Oprah fan this morning, you'll know that there's probably millions of paths to God and we all make our way through our own different paths. No, Oprah, you're wrong. I'll tell you what's different about Jesus. Uh, You can get all the other gods and line them up. Not one of them has risen from the dead by the power of God. Let me tell you something else that's a little bit different about all the other religious and belief systems of the world. Every other religion and every other belief system uh, paints a picture of man needing to strive after God. Only in Christ and only in Christianity is that flipped and do we see God seeking after the heart of men in the person of Jesus who came to liberate you. That's what Good Friday is all about. Liberate us that we may go free and have a relationship with him. You can come to church until you're old and grey. You can give all the money to the church that you like, but unless you answer this question the way that we're going to finish this morning, there was a man in John's Gospel that answered this question correctly. But unless you answer that question in one particular way this morning. Let's finish off. Verse 17, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Long story why they have these weird names. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's the most important thing this morning. Is that the revelation that Peter has was not given to him by flesh and blood. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And I'm sorry, but God's not building his church on a papal system. He's not building his church on Peter. He's building his church on the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. That's why it's important we get it right. That's why the book of Revelation is so important. The book of Revelation is so important because it unveils who Jesus really is. So many of us get lost in this picture of Jesus with this long blonde hair and blue eyes. No one in the Middle East has got long blonde hair and blue eyes, by the way. Uh, Long blonde hair, blue eyes, holding a little lamb, when in fact he rides a white horse and he has tattooed down his leg, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We sang this morning, he is worthy. He was worthy before he stepped onto this planet. He was worthy before the cross. He is worthy today, simply because of who he is. 
And as that little boy teaches us when we started off this morning, God is not all about what you can get from him. We must fall in love with him for who he is. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. May we continue to build the church of Jesus and allow him to build. We have the pastors have got the, don't tell the board this, by the way, but pastors have got the easiest job in the universe. We, we have got the easiest job in the universe because he built his church. All we have to do is be instruments of revealing who he is. He's the lion. Doesn't matter how many lights and fog machines and whatever else we put in here, I can't make Jesus any more attractive because I don't need to. If you see him for who he is, that's why the book of Revelation is so important. If you get just a, just a glimpse of his glory, you will do what one man did in the Gospel of John. I love this. Uh, you may have come with all your doubts this morning. Well, you're welcome here this morning. You can, with all of your doubts, you can, you can still come. And uh, I love Jesus. Jesus meets, uh, we label Thomas doubting Thomas, but uh, Jesus meets him right where he's at. And can I read the story of, of Thomas this morning? Because Thomas walked with Jesus for three years on this earth and, and Thomas knew he wasn't there. He was out having a cup of coffee and uh, the, Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples and uh, while he's away. And then they say, we've seen Jesus. And he's like, no more coffee for you. Um, <laughs> for the tea drinkers this morning. But in John chapter 20, verse 24, I'm just going to read this passage real quick. It almost preaches itself. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. My testimony this morning, why do I do this? Why do I stand here? Why do I, because I have seen the Lord. I haven't seen him with my eyes, but I've seen him with my heart. There's many, there are billions of people today that will testify to the same. We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hand the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What's Thomas saying? Uh, Thomas knows the implications, right? If what you guys are telling me is true, if Jesus has risen from the dead, (laughs) no more game playing. Jesus, Thomas stands on one side of the line and he knows if I step across that line, there's no going back. If what you're telling me is true, if Jesus really is risen from the dead, then everything he said is correct. And all the claims he made about himself are correct. Hmm. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Hmm. You can't... I get up early to let Jesus in every morning. He's here before I get here. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, he doesn't scold Thomas. He he doesn't tell him off, doesn't curse him. You might be sitting here this morning saying, you know what? Well, I've got my doubts. I've heard about this Jesus, but I've still got my doubts. I need to be convinced. That's okay. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. That's what Jesus does. Jesus meets you right where you're at. Put your finger here and see my hands and and place your hand in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him. This is how we answer this question. My Lord and my God. 
just as an FYI, little scared, doubting Thomas would take the gospel to India and be horribly flayed, for those that know what that means, horribly flayed because he would not stop preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The message in the book of Acts, what, what message did they take? What message did the first disciples take? What, what message was it? They preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why? Because it has power. And what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does is it draws a line. No more playing church anymore. You're not just here to fill seats anymore. Jesus must go from being a saviour and a Lord to being your Lord. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's me this morning. That's many people in this room this morning. I have not seen him with my eyes, but I believe. This morning as we finish, I bid you a happy Easter and God bless you. But please... Please, I leave you with this question. Who do you say Jesus is? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that every person here would answer that question the same as Thomas, my Lord and my God. That empty tomb gives us all great hope. I pray that to this city, to this nation, to this community, and to every person in here inside of these walls, that we would have a greater revelation of Jesus. Let us see your majesty. Let us see your glory with greater clarity, we ask, in your wonderful and glorious name. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. God bless. And maybe see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.